Welcome back to Owned and Operated, where we dive deep into the businesses we own, the businesses we are acquiring, and we also bring on guests to talk about their operating struggles. If you like what you hear today, follow John and Brandon on Twitter. That's John at Wilson Companies and Brandon at Brandon Niro. Also, check out our weekly newsletter where we teach you how to be an effective operator. You can sign up by clicking the link in the description of this podcast or by visiting ownedandoperated.com. That's ownedandoperated.com. Check it out. Okay, we are back. And today we have Isaac Zimmerman. Isaac has a history in small business, investment banking, operations, acquisitions, and startups. Also, John and Isaac have actually started a program called ServeStart, which funds entrepreneurs who want to buy or start their own businesses. On this episode, they discuss some of the details of ServeStart, as well as some of the exciting up-and-coming developments that you, as listeners, get to look forward to as we learn and talk more about investing in entrepreneurs and small businesses. Enjoy this episode. If you listen to our show, you know that we can spend months sourcing businesses, talking with them, negotiating LOIs, conducting due diligence, all for a deal to fall through at the finish line. Microacquire solves that whole problem, whether you're buying or selling a business. As a seller, you're getting introduced to over 50,000 trusted buyers with total anonymity. As a buyer, you get to sort through profitable, vetted sellers and close in 30 days. We don't own any digital businesses yet, but over the next year, we're intending to grab a couple, and Microacquire is going to be our choice for a sourcing platform. All right, welcome back to Owned and Operated. We just were wrapping up a few-week hiatus. Rand recently got placed into one of our portfolio companies, and we took a little bit of a break while we've been doing integration. Buying companies is really hard. Buying companies while also trying to produce media is even harder. <laughs> so today we have someone, a good friend of mine on with us today, Isaac. Welcome, Isaac. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So I'll give like a, a brief intro to what we're doing. A lot of people have probably seen it and then I'll just hand it over. You can introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. But Isaac and I met off Twitter a few months ago. He had an interesting thesis about the home service space. So we're going to really dive deep into that today. And besides that, he's just a fun guy to hang out with. So if you haven't met Isaac, I encourage you to reach out. But welcome. How about you give us like a little bit of primer into what you're into? Yeah. Hello, everyone. Exciting to be here. I've listened to so many episodes, so it's fun to be here and get to chat with with John and and see the experience firsthand. It's a little bit about me. I actually grew up in Cleveland, pretty close to Akron, where John's businesses are, and grew up in a family of small business owners, really classic immigrant entrepreneurial story. My family come to the U.S. with nothing ended up starting and buying a few businesses in the Cleveland area. And so I was always super interested in small business, wanted to be a small business owner, wanted to be around it, and ended up starting and spending most of my career as a financial investor, actually. So I started off working for a blue chip investment bank, helping Fortune 500 companies with mergers and acquisitions. Then I moved into an operator role for a Fortune 500 company, investing capital for them, company was in the alcohol space and I led a lot of the M&A and venture investments and joint partnerships there. Ended up doing maybe around $300 million of closed M&A across the U.S. internationally. After that, I did 
two stints at startups and operational roles. One was a venture-backed unicorn, actually in the cannabis technology space. And the other one was the division of a public tech company. It's mostly doing sales leadership and then business development there. And then after those companies, I ended up actually back into investing in a private equity role. And I think through my family's experience and then seeing a lot of different businesses as a financial investor, I became pretty obsessed with home and sort of broader facility services, which is not unlike a lot of people, including the man on this call, <laughs> who recognize the value in this space. But what I really saw was an opportunity in what I would call the sub-institutional or, or micro-home service space. It's really anything with less than $10 million in revenue. And I would say that this is a space that is really sort of smaller than what a traditional private equity fund would look at, even smaller than what a search fund would look at, or really anyone who's sort of a fundless on the sponsor tend, tends to go larger. And so as I learned more and more about these businesses, I ended up reaching out to John. We met through Twitter. I went out to Akron and spent a week with him, shadowed his business. And through him and I talking, it was clear that there's just a lot of opportunity in this sub-institutional space and people who were interested in it. But acquisition was the only path that really people were talking about. And if you look at other business models, you look at other industries, there's more sort of like Greenfield de novo activity taking place. And I think there's a few reasons for that we can talk about. But anyway, from my perspective, I think I saw a big opportunity to help people become small business owners who maybe didn't have the financial acumen or resources to close a transaction. And from that, really, John, John and I talking, I think ServStar was born as a you know, a pilot program to have a home service incubator where people who wanted to have the chance to build equity in something, be a home service business owner and really change the trajectory of their lives would have the chance to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was a great primer. Like you really opened up most of the episodes. So this could be pretty, this is going to be pretty good. I want to, <laughs> I, I want to first share in general, Twitter has been like a funny thing in my life. I'd say one of the strangest things for the people around me is that I get reached out to by random people on the internet that want to come visit. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, the craziest thing ever. Yeah, but it forms really interesting relationships. And I think Patrick O'Shaughnessy said this on his podcast, but if you want to go form a relationship, then you go to wherever that person is. And I think yeah. that, I mean, you've done that not just with me, but with other people. You formed a thesis and to pursue it, you traveled around. Mm -hmm. I mean, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'll, I'll, another notable person who I think a lot of people who listen will know is, is Rich Jordan, who I went to very rural Pennsylvania to go spend a few days with him too. And yeah, it's, it's incredibly powerful. And it's funny when I tell people from the rest of my life, from sort of like the high finance circles, this time that I spent on Twitter and meeting people, a lot of them are, are blown away by it. I think it's a cool, really cool community that most people don't realize exists or, or don't take advantage of but I found it to be incredibly hospitable. And, and yeah, I had this thesis and this interest and through spending time with you, spending time with Rich, talking to tons and tons of people about these businesses and seeing them firsthand, it really transformed a lot of the way that I view the world and, and the way that I view small business and really gave me a really cool experience and, and a lot of genuine friendship too. And so I'm glad that you answered a cold DM and then we're crazy enough, you and your wife, to let a guy off the street come in and, and spend this time with you. But yeah. but yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride so far. Yeah, it has been fun. And you bribed us with bourbon, which always helps. True. 
True, which is which is always a good a good bribe. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, it is funny. I've had a few relationships formed off of this now, which is just entertaining. Just people come out and hang out for a few days, and it's cool. So if you want to make something happen, fly somewhere is basically the point. I think that's a great life lesson. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's talk about, let's let's dive into Serve Start here a little bit, because I think we each have different perspectives. You from, well, maybe let's describe it. Do you want to describe it or you want me to? I can throw a little bit out about it and then feel free to add on. But really, if, in its simplest form, is, is it's an incubator. And so our idea is we'll seed someone, we're looking for hungry entrepreneurs. We'll seed you with the capital that you need to launch an asset-heavy home service business. And the advantage is basically through John and I's experiences, resources, and connections, we can seed you with the capital, the playbooks that you need to build one of these businesses, even if you don't have the prior experience. So you kind of think of it as like institutional grade backing and strategic help to scale and really gives you a good chance of building a home service business that you'll own over the long term. And so looking for people who want to start that and we'll let them choose the geography they want to live in. They'll be CEO of the company. And once we get our capital back and we have a financial structure behind it, but eventually the operator will be the majority owner. And if it works, we have the resources to help fund future growth through acquisition or organically. And so it's really just an incubator. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it was your idea. It wasn't we, you were like, Hey, what if we did this? <laughs> sure, man. The thing that was attractive about it to me is I think I see all these people on Twitter going about business ownership in a way that I don't think I would have done the first time. So when I think searchers are a really good example. So, right. so, and I've talked about this on Twitter, like, you know, scroll back eight months, but I think the way that I would start if I was to do it again, is I would do it pretty much the same. I would either starting one or buying, but small. There's probably a lot to say about growing pains and getting through it and tenacity. And I there's also a lot to say about going into a functioning business that's already running. But I think just from a, if we're looking at this as pure dollars in, my cash output to build what we've built by buying subscale businesses or starting subscale businesses is significantly less. So my risk is significantly less than if I would have immediately gone out and bought a two to $4 million EBITDA business and also had no idea how to run it. So I'm really attracted to this. Like, let's go, if this is your first deal, let's go start a small whatever or buy someone's book of business because you can do that in a lot of ways. You know, one man show, people retiring, the book of business might be $15,000. And I've right, done that a few right. times. And you've got something to launch with and you didn't go into debt for, you know, a million bucks. No, yeah, hundred percent. And I think from my world, I talk to a lot of search funds, a lot of MBA focused people who, who have come out of programs and have launched search funds or people who are later in their career even and, and are currently searching. And what I noticed too is I probably talked to 50 searchers in the last six months from various walks of life. And I think the current state of the economy, how much money there is flowing, it really is a seller's market. And so you're seeing these home service businesses too, even really mediocre ones. And obviously John knows this better than anyone. Valuation expectations are super high. 
And so you have a business that really, when you peek under the hood is a a month away at any given point from, from falling apart and they want you to pay a sky high multiple for it. And so when you have somebody who's looking down the barrel of doing that, and that's their only option to get into the game is to spend, go into a million dollars of debt to buy, you know, something that's duct taped and bandaged together and has maybe three texts that if any one of those guys leaves, I mean, Rich talks about this too with the business he bought. If any one of those technicians leaves, you're in deep, deep trouble. And if you look at really what you're, what you're buying, there becomes a really serious question of build versus buy. And, and am I actually getting something for this million dollars? And yes, you're leveraging it and you're getting SBA financing, but at the end of the day, you're spending a million dollars, risking a million dollars to do this. And I think that's where surf starts interesting too, because I think for most people, you wouldn't have the access to financing. People who were talking to you wouldn't have the access to financing to start. And there's a difference between bootstrapping a business and starting it with a little bit of capital and help. And for most people, I think what makes buying a business and going risking that million dollars attractive is because they can get the financing from the SBA. Whereas a bank won't give you $200,000 to start a septic business if you have no collateral. And I think that's where that funding gap is somewhere where we can play given our knowledge of the space, our risk appetite, and just like our willingness to make these bets. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think sort of a last note on just the problem that I see. One of our general issues is figuring out what's next for us and our companies. And I think that ServeStart has given us a really interesting model where we can take all of the experience that we've pained over, over the past, you know, however long of buying these companies, starting them, running them, and we can turn it into, well, hey, let's leverage that and let's expand across the nation in these well-placed bets into people that we think have potential. So that's a cool part for us. So like that's a clean enough segue, placing bets on people with potential what have we seen? Like what did the, you know, when we first launched this thing and we announced it, we had hundreds of applicants, like over, mm-hmm. it was ab- totally mind blowing. So what have you seen going through this process so far? What'd the initial stage look like? Yeah. Well, I think when we launched it, it was, it was exciting. We got a lot of traction. I think your analytics showed that maybe 70,000 people, maybe more saw the post and we had outreach from, yeah, definitely over a hundred people. And so I think, and there were people from all different walks of life. We had some yeah. characters in the, in the mix, that's for sure. And I think that it was interesting to see sort of what people gravitated towards. And I think even more than the money, what I would routinely hear from people, both in their applications and also in talking to them on the phone, was they were attracted to have mentorship and to get to have investors and people on their cap table like you, John, who are in the space, who have built businesses like this. And I think for them, you know, starting a business, buying a business by yourself can be a lonely road. I think partnerships, true partnerships have their own drawbacks. And so I think for a lot of people, the ability to have an investor like you, a partner like you, who is in the space gives them the confidence to really go for it. And so I think, I think that was really interesting to hear from people. I think also what was interesting, and this is not surprising, I guess, but the drop-off, I would say, from people who were interested, who actually then went through and 
wrote up a business plan, submitted something, actually like followed up was a massive, massive drop off. And there were a lot of people who, and this goes back to, I guess, taking initiative, which we talked a little about at the beginning of this call, but there were a lot of people who said how this was a potentially life-changing experience and then ended up sort of fizzling out. Yeah. There has to be, I think, I mean, I think it's human nature. I don't know how many people we expected to apply in right. the first place. I was also surprised by how few people sort of crossed the finish line because we went from a few hundred to a few, just a couple right. of people that were sort of at this, you know, nearing the last stage of the process, but that we feel really comfortable with. Right. I think, yeah, I think the interesting part too will be, and we'll talk about this in a second, but we have a few upcoming opportunities that are getting closer to the hoop. But I think for us, the next stage is going to have to be refilling the pipeline because we had this fill from Twitter. And I think, again, there was some learnings from that, some mixed results. I think really the reality is it's going to be a game of needing to have a ton of people at the top of the funnel. And it's from here, how do we refill the pipeline of people? And that's going to be now moving into, you know, posting on job boards. It's going to be going to trade schools and trying to see if we can find more people who are right, the right candidates for this. I think we'll, we'll probably talk about this in a second too, but a little bit about selecting people and general qualities that we look for. And I think it's well, I think similar to now. Go for it. Well, I think, why don't you start? Cause I think it, it really starts on the basis of the, of some of the stuff you've talked about on this podcast before around how you evaluate operators even. And then I think there's a slight twist to it, but it really starts there. Yeah. So when we're looking, you know, we use the typical hungry, humble, smart for us at, you know, between you and I, right. we added like wants to improve their life, wants to change their life trajectory as a big part of that. But I think what I've seen, so we found a ton of people that are smart, <laughs> like a lot of really smart people, a lot of humble people, and a lot of them were hungry. Like they want to do this or they think they want to do it, right? Right. I think the part that we've consistently struggled with, and we struggle with this placing operators too, it's just a general, like, will you act and will you do what needs to be done? It's easy to press a button and say, absolutely, I'm interested in this opportunity to own a landscaping right. or septic company. Are you going to feel the same way when it's 2021 and there's a labor crisis and you can't find people to mow the lawns because you can't hire anybody and you're on the mower? Because that's the reality of subscale is you're the guy. Right. Like you are it. And I think that that has been a difficult like concept because a lot of the people that yeah. follow me are interested in this whole thing. They have a bunch of, it's a lot of investment banking background. <laughs> so, right, right. which isn't good or bad. It's just like you haven't been in a septic truck before. So that might be yeah. a big shock to you. <laughs> no, I think, I think that's a phenomenal point. And I think that's probably a, an interesting learning and a potential pivot point too, which you're right. A lot of the people who are on Twitter and who follow you are more from an investing side or are more from a larger corporate side where they're used to operating in a very different environment than this. And so, yes, they want to own their own business. Yes, they want to do these things. 
But when it comes to actually being the guy or girl on the ground doing it at first, which is what's going to happen again, if you don't have the resources or knowledge or you're not right to go buy a, a scale business, that is a huge, huge leap for people. And I think that probably is how we've lost a substantial amount of people who say they're interested. And then like, I'm super honest on the phone with people. And I know you are too. And I say like, look like the first year or two, like you're going to be working really hard. Like you will be the person building this business and you're not going to have a huge team behind you. But if it works, if you put in that work, then from there you'll grow and you'll have more resources and, and we'll be there to support you. And so I think what's interesting then going forward too is to the extent there might be a pivot in terms of candidates we look for towards more technicians or more to- or towards more people who are used to doing the work and maybe don't have the business background. And you could almost view them as like similar to you in a lot of ways, like find someone who, you know, start off in the trade, start off doing that, but is interested in other paths for themselves. And maybe that's a more natural movement actually in trying to move the other way, which is how we started with Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a guy who his growth plan, he has like 27 locations now. Mm-hmm. Uh, really interesting guy. And he does basically that. So it doesn't work with an equity equity kicker, but he takes someone who is a technician capable and he drops them into a new location and starts, you know, marketing like crazy. And then if they can do it, then he builds a team around them like as quick as he possibly can. You know, there are three or 400 employees at this point. So he's able to do that fairly quickly, but it takes that person that is ready to work and change their life. Right. And that's not an easy going the other way, you know, going from the business side to having to be the on the ground operator. That's a difficult path. As we just talked about the struggles going from the, you know, technician or operator side and trying to move into being a business owner is his own difficulties. And that, that would not be an easy search process for us either. Yeah. But I think, yeah, that's going to take the right person. It's both like you have to find the right person. And like, that's always the thing, right? Like you have to find the right person. And some of it's the scale that we're aiming for. But I feel like if I follow my own journey, it's achievable because I just did it. <laughs> right. No, 100%. So I know that, that people are out there capable of doing it, even if that's not necessarily what they're, yeah. you know. Yeah. I know they can do no, it. No, we, we, I think we're, we're trying to find the next two or three John... John Wilson, who... Well, I mean, not just me, but, you know, these other... It wasn't a self-plug, but there's a bunch of people that we're watching now on Twitter where they acted, right? Mm-hmm. They, mm-hmm. they didn't have all the information. They acted yeah. unknown, and, and they're they're doing it. Yeah. You know what else would be a little bit interesting that we didn't talk about is, again, this is... You know, we're in the early stages of this, and, and like I said, it's still a pilot right now, so we haven't, haven't backed anyone. But we have, we did spend a lot of time in the beginning thinking about, you know, intellectually, if this were to work, what does a sort of platform look like where you can have a distributed network of people running home service businesses as nodes, and then you have shared services on the back end, which have built a little bit of the flywheel you talked about even where you can then very easily help people even easier spin up new nodes and have the pieces in place so that they can really just focus on one slice of the requirements of starting a new business. Yeah. Yeah. That was always 
I mean, that was the basis of our model in the beginning was I wanted to be able to buy something or start something anywhere. So you build up the team around you to do it. So, you know, there's HR and recruiting and marketing and a deep finance team. And so now we can do whatever we want. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And yeah, I, I think that's cool. Aside from experience, that's hopefully the value add is, hey, we've, like, you can go out and just focus and grow and go do, your, go do your thing, and we can help take care of the hard part. Or we can build up our own shared services company inside SurfStart and make it happen in there. And I think that happens after a few entrepreneurs get backed, so hopefully next year. Yeah. No, I agree. So do we want to talk about, speaking of entrepreneurs, do we want to talk about I'm next week? Yeah, where are we now? So where we are now is, excitingly, we have our first entrepreneur coming to Akron next week. And John and I are going to spend a few days with him and we're going to hopefully get a, a go or no go decision based, based on that. But this is someone who came through Twitter, went through the process, submitted their intake form, talked to us on the phone, built a business plan, iterated on the business plan and has just been consistent. And I would say the best part about this person's plan so far too is, and we talked a little bit about this, like understanding of what's required to start one of these businesses and what your role will be is this person seems to really understand what's required. And the plan isn't, Hey, year one, I'm going to be, I'm going to have 20 people and I'm not going to do anything. It's year one. It's me and a helper. Year two, it's me and a helper's helper. Right. And so it's not a, you know, parabolic curve that, that it scales up. And I think that realism makes it pretty exciting. And I think also too, and we could talk about this, but you know, our big theory on, or a big interest of ours on ServeStart was really in the asset heavy space too, because a lot of people I think are interested in, you know, plumbing or HVAC and people because of the capital requirements tend to shy away from things like septic or drain and this person is interested in, in doing a drain company. And I think that is a very interesting space to us for a few reasons. John could talk about it better than anyone, but yeah, we have this person coming and we're going to spend two days with him and do some interviews, do some whiteboarding, do some shadowing and, and hopefully figure out whether or not this is someone that we can work with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think let's dive into the, like a quick overview of the process. So what happens is, you know, we do top of funnel. Hey, we've got serve start. You want to you wanna do your thing? Get outreach. We get applicants. People reach out. We give them an application form where they basically just answer some simple questions. And then pretty early on, they do a phone call, and then they get a deliverable, which is a business plan. So the business plan, it's more of like it's a weeder. Are you going to do it? And so, I mean, some have been bad, like that have been submitted, but... Just are you going to do it at all? Because if, if we're investing with a pile of cash behind you, then we need to know that you're going to act and you're going to follow through on what you say. So then after that, it's another round of phone interviews. We talk about it. They iterate, like you said. And then one of the final stages, which is what we're getting to, is sort of finalizing that plan and doing an in-person. So you know, if this is something that you're interested in or someone you know that you feel like might be a good fit, that is the general process. And I would say so far we're two months in, maybe three months in on this specific, like since our first outreach. So it takes a couple months and it should 
before we get comfortable to back someone with a lot of capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, th- I think that's, that's right overview. And, and this certainly is not a quick process, especially because a, it takes time to go through the process that John just said, but B the person also needs to be in a position where they're willing and ready to go, which means leaving a current job that they're at in most cases. And so this is something that we're going to have to keep at for a long time. It's going to be a, a slow burn, but yeah, I think it's a process that by the end of it, we can feel like we have a good sense for the person's motives, how they work. And I think the iterative component of it too, how they would receive feedback, I think is, I think is important. So, and I think also the, the really nice thing is because John has built this platform and is operating these businesses beyond the intellectual side of building a business plan and doing interviews, a big plan for this person over the few days that they're with us in Akron is, is putting them to work shadowing John's businesses and seeing what it would actually be like to run. Yeah, what septic say? smells like. <laughs> yeah, what septic smells like. Yeah. And if they could survive, survive that and really thrive in that environment and really through ride-alongs with a, with a technician, we receive feedback that this is someone who, who's cut out for this environment. That makes a huge difference in us getting comfortable. And I think that's a big advantage that we have too in doing this is just John's operations and the ability to, to put that person there and actually see what it would really feel like. Because if it was just the intellectual component, right? Like, Oh, build a business plan and like tell us things like it would be very difficult to suss out whether or not someone is serious or has the personality type to do this. Yeah. No, I think beyond that right now, it's really hard to add value as an equity investor. Right. Like really hard, like money's sort of everywhere and it's not hard to go get money. It's just not. So the differentiator has to be value add or I don't see how this would work without like it would probably work. I'm sorry. I don't see how this would work and be a true service to the entrepreneur without that base right. in, in these businesses. Cause there's a few other incubators that exist out there, but they don't do the same thing. It's not real. And the issues that they've had consistently is when the entrepreneur gets placed, they're like, Whoa, I did not sign up for this smell every day or I did not sign up to like have to go help carry a water heater. You know, some of the stuff that, man, you just got to do. If you have a sub 10 team, you just got to do it. So that's been their consistent struggle. So I don't think it works anywhere near as well with, without that. All right. Right. So, so we're pretty far along in the process on, on a couple of, couple of these entrepreneurs. What happens next? What do you think this looks like? What happens next in terms of these specific people or in general? Just in the process. So I think, I think we have someone, like we said, who's coming next week, who, if that goes well, ideally will structure the rest of, ideally that goes well. If both sides decide that we should move forward, we still need to structure some of the agreements with this person in terms of how the actual financial relationship would work and in terms of how the operating agreement for the business would work. So that would be a relatively decent sized hurdle for us next. Although we've all talked about sort of the biggest blocks of it. And I think people are pretty comfortable, but of course documentation and you know, when the actual writing meets paper, I think 
will be will be an interesting dynamic and and, and challenging of itself. And then if that goes well, hopefully this person can start this business in the first few months of, of 2022 and be off to the races. I think what's, and maybe John, if you want to talk about this for a second, but a little bit of the interest that we have in asset heavy home service businesses and some of the appeal of something like a septic business or a drain business. And in this case, this person's interested in, in drain and some of the dynamics of those businesses that you find to attract Cause most people are really just talking about the ones that everyone hears about, which is like plumbing or HVAC. Yeah. Well, I just talked about this a little bit on Acquisitions Anonymous. I just recorded an episode over there with those guys, which was super cool. We talked about a drain business and we talked about a damage remediation business. And in general, our strategy is we pursue high gross profit trades. So you could sum up everything that I'm doing with that sentence. But that means like niches and niches and niches. So yeah, plumbing's cool, but you know what's really cool is sewer replacement because that's a high gross profit, high dollar value job. Drains, high gross profit. Stuff like faucets are real pain. It's like three to $400, but that's plumbing, right? In damage remediation, there's two sides of that business. There's the, the guys that go in and cut out you know, dry up the water, they put dehumidifiers in, they put fans, they get rid of like soggy drywall and mold. And then there's the guys that do the rebuild. So all of the money, all of it is in the first part. 75% gross profit. When you get to the rebuild, it's like 20. But the water mitigation, the first part might be a $4,000 ticket and the rebuild might be 10. So people get like, they get all caught up in this $10,000 big number job, but there's no money on the back end. So we get attracted to these trades and we're bringing up these trades to our serve start folks is these are the niches and niches that we think are the most attractive. And I'm either thinking about doing it myself or I already own something inside this niche. And these are the profitable ones. Drains specifically, unbelievably profitable stuff. And you can do all, you can go all types of verticals with drains and it's all good because people don't want to deal with poop. Like big, <laughs> big surprise. <laughs> so you can make a lot of money when you do things that people don't want to do. Yeah. And even some of these businesses too, even like drains, for example, the capital intensive component of it, I think in a way makes it attractive to own also because a big risk in, and again, it depends on the licensing of, of your state, but a big risk for a lot of people is your you know, your employees, your technicians go off and start their own business. That's not so easy in some of these trades that have high capex requirements. I mean, even many plumbing companies don't own some of the drain equipment and have to sub that work out. And so that makes it even beyond the gross margin. I think some of the, the moats that yeah. come from being high capex are attractive. And then also just like sort of like the general, even literally like more stink to them, I think pushes people away. Which makes them, which makes them super attractive, and also even too, I would say some of these businesses are a little bit easier to start from a licensing standpoint too. Like even some of this drain work, depending on where you are, is a lot easier. And in some cases, there's there's little to no licensing requirements for plumbing, and so that I think is a hurdle for for a lot of people that you can that you can skip 
if you look at some of these businesses that aren't talked about as much. All right. So yeah, that was a pretty good explanation of the Serve Start program. We just wanted to get on here today, talk about what we've been doing. A lot of people have been asking for updates. So here's the update. It's exciting. We're pumped about what this thing looks like in the future. We're excited to be able to help the next generation of home service entrepreneurs get off the ground. And we're really excited with the relationships that we've made so far. So hopefully we have some investments that we can make early next year and let's put this thing to work. Yeah. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, Isaac, thanks for coming on. If people want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? I'm on Twitter. You can find me, Isaac Zimmerman on Twitter and I'm there. Perfect. Perfect. And we'll throw your handle in the show notes. All right. Thanks. Thanks.